Peter started life as a fisherman. I like to fish. And you know, one of the great blessings of going to northeastern Kenya is God put us on the shore of a lake that is 5 to 30 miles wide and 160 miles long, full of Nile crocodiles, but also full of big fish. A lake that has not one game warden's boat on it. <laughs> you fishermen in the crowd, and I know there's some of you out there, uh, that's kind of like heaven, right? I think it was one of our visitors, we had a boat on the lake too, and one of our visitors said, uh, Jim, your, name, your boat doesn't have a name. You should call it evangelism. Then when people say, where's, to Barb, where's Jim? You, she could say, he's out on evangelism. <laughs> we never named the boat evangelism because I could just see Barb's next prayer letter about the deceitful missionary. God appointed a crocodile. And that was the end of the missionary. But it's not because Peter was a, a fisherman by profession initially that Peter's my favorite apostle. Uh, Peter's my favorite apostle because he's such a great example about how God entrusts this treasure of the gospel to people who are flawed. And how God restores people like Peter, people like you and me, to the ministry that he's given us to do. And we, we all know Peter's story. Peter calls, uh, God calls through Jesus, Peter's, Peter and his brother Andrew, their commercial fishing partners, James and John. He calls them to stop catching fish and start catching men. And you know the story. Those, those, those fishermen leave their boats and leave their nets, leave their fishing tackle, and they follow Jesus. And Peter becomes the leading apostle, or at least the loudest apostle, and he has some great triumphs. Uh, you know, when Jesus starts teaching some hard things, and it says many of the disciples left him and quit following him. Jesus asked the disciples, the apostles, are you going to leave me too? Peter says, what? Lord, where, will we, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We're with you. Then, a little later on, in Matthew 16, we read that Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, some say you're, you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah, and some say you're Jeremiah. Uh, you know, you've got that repenting Theme that keeps coming up. Some say you're one of the, the prophets. And Jesus said, well, who do you all say that I am? And Peter says, what? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus commends Peter for that. But just a few verses later, when Jesus is speaking about the Passion Week, about his death and his resurrection, Peter says what? Stop saying that, Jesus. That, that's, not, that's not good PR. And Jesus says to what, to what to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, 
but on the things of man. But as we all know, what was Peter's most egregious failure? During the arrest and the torture and the trial of Christ, Peter denies Jesus. He denies Jesus after that night on the Mount of Olives where Jesus is prophesying all this and and he says, you're all going to leave me. Peter says, I'll never leave you. Even if it costs me my life, I won't leave you. Don't forget, the other apostles chimed in and said the same thing, but Peter was the loud one. Jesus says, Peter, before the cock crows, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. We know that in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest, Peter denies his Lord three times. And only Judas, the betrayer, was a more obvious failure among the disciples than Peter. In our passage this morning, I want us to see what we can learn from the example of Peter. As we look at his remorse for his failure, as we look at his restoration to ministry, as Jesus brings him back, and then, a little harder perhaps to find in the text, the reward that Jesus promises to Peter. So, turn in your Bibles, if you have the Blue Pew Bible, it's in on page 1,154, the passage is John chapter 21, verse 1 to 19. I'm going to read the whole passage because the only perfect, infallible part of any sermon is God's Word. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray together. Father, we see in this gospel the the theme, the previous verses. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then we go from there to Peter. Father, as we look at this passage this morning, Father, may your spirit teach us from your word. Father, may I be able to give the sense of the passage. And Father, that we would be careful to look at our lives and look at the example of this disciple, Peter. See if there's lessons that we can learn here as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We go from John 20 to John 21. We see Peter telling six of the other disciples in verse 3, I'm going fishing. Now Jesus had told the disciples to do what? Go to a mountain in Galilee and wait for me there. You're supposed to be on the mountain waiting for Jesus and they're at the beach. So what's going on? They weren't at the beach because they were just going to do a little recreational fishing. They weren't just catching breakfast. They were fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus gave in John 16, 32 when he said, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you'll be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Peter and the other fishermen were going back to their old occupation. Why? Peter, Peter has failed Christ. The resurrection has taken place and he realizes that everything Jesus taught was true. And he'd been commanded to be fisher, a fisher of men, not a fish. But he denied Christ. Lee Peter thought, well, Christ can't use me. The Lord can't use me as a fisher of men. I'm a failure, but there's one thing I know how to do. I can go back to fishing. I can't represent the Son of God. I'm such a failure. I'll just have to go back and earn my daily bread in my boat. So if you look at the last part of chapter 3, they went out, got into the boat, And caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. They fished all night and caught nothing. And if you're a fisherman, you know there's a very technical term for catching nothing. They were skunked. Didn't catch anything. And Jesus comes along the seashore and they don't recognize him. He asked them, children, do you have any fish? And they said, no. 
What's happening here? Jesus has commanded them to be fishers of men. Jesus wanted Peter to understand, Peter, you think you can disobey me and go back to catching fish. You forget, I made the fish. I control the fish. I told you to catch men. Fishing's an honorable occupation, but that's not your occupation. I commanded you to leave all that and catch men. And in case Peter doesn't catch it, in verse 6 we read, Jesus says, uh, try throwing the net on the right side of the boat. And they do, and they couldn't haul the, boat, the, the net into the boat because it was too full of fish. And in verse 7, John says, it's the Lord. John's the one who's more spiritually sensitive than Peter. How did he know it was the Lord? Well, if you, if you go back to Luke 5, you see that when Jesus called those four men, he'd done something very similar. They'd fished and caught nothing. Jesus said, cast your net again, and they do, and they caught the fish. And John recognizes Jesus. And John had more sensitivity than Peter, but Peter had more zeal. And what, is, what does Peter do when John says it's the Lord? He's in a loincloth fishing. He puts on his outer garment, and he swims the 100 yards to shore. He's not going to wait for the boat. He's going to get to Jesus. When they get to shore, they find Jesus already has breakfast started on a charcoal fire. And you know, John... In one other place mentions a charcoal fire. John chapter 18, 18. Peter's in the courtyard of Caiaphas, warming himself at a charcoal fire and denying that he knows Jesus. And Jesus looks across at him from across that charcoal fire. And the cock crows. Peter realizes I failed. I followed Jesus for three years. He called me. He commissioned me. I boasted that I would never leave him. I'd be faithful unto death. I'd be a hero. And I failed. Jesus asked them to bring some more fish. And if you read the passage there, they're fishermen, so they can't just go and get the fish. What do they have to do? How many did we catch? And the Bible says they were big fish. And you can believe that they were big fish, not because fishermen told you, but because the Holy Spirit helped John write this, breathe these words. 153 big fish. And Jesus serves them breakfast. We don't know what conversations took place during breakfast, if any. Verse 14, we read that this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Actually, more than that individual times, but uh, within three other time periods. Last Sunday, in our churches, we celebrated the resurrection. We celebrated an empty tomb. We didn't just celebrate an empty tomb. We, we celebrated a resurrection that has been confirmed through history, confirmed through eyewitnesses, Confirmed, Jesus repeatedly appears to disciples following his resurrection on multiple occasions. Peter is remorseful. 
He's fishing instead of catching men. He thinks Christ is done with him. And after breakfast, in verse 15, Jesus has this dialogue with Peter. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Why did Jesus have this dialogue with Peter? The other disciples had failed too. And, and Peter, Jesus isn't just restoring Peter, he's restoring all of them. But he talks to Peter, and Peter had publicly denied the Lord, and he needed to be publicly restored to ministry. Jesus asked Peter a simple question. He doesn't go over what happened. He just says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Don't bog down on the two different Greek words that are used in this passage. I believe they're used interchangeably. The Greek verbs agapio and phileo. Just like you don't need to bog down on when Jesus says, feed my sheep or feed my lambs, those are both talking about small, stupid, smelly little animals that have wool on them. But Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And the first time he says, more than these. I don't think he's talking about the disciples. Do you love me more than these disciples? I think he's talking about the boat and the fishing tackle and the nets. So Peter's gone back to the wealth he had to make a living. And that may seem odd to us if we're kind of in our let's think spiritual mode. But Jesus warns us about serving two masters. He says, you'll serve me or you'll serve your wealth. You see, there's something that, that about wealth that just we human beings look for our security there. We say, well, if everything else fails, I can always go make a living. What about our conversations? What do we talk about? Do we, do we turn the conversations back to our Savior? We turn the conversations back to, to, to a biblical worldview when we're embracing people that have, we're talking to people that have embraced a worldview that's completely destructive to them. Do, do, do we turn back to disciple making? Or is our conversation all about physical wealth? Peter, Peter answers the Lord and he says, Yeah, Lord, I, I, I love you more than these. Peter answers Jesus the first two times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then the third time, Peter was grieved. Why was Peter grieved the third time? How many times had he denied Christ? Three times. And Jesus answers, asks him three times, do you love me? Peter answers even more emphatically, Lord, you know everything. You know the things about me that I wish you didn't know. You know everything. And I love you because you love me. And my love isn't perfect. Peter, Peter has proved his love wasn't perfect, but Peter says, Lord, you know everything, and my love is genuine. I genuinely love you. I genuinely want to feed your sheep, to tend your sheep. I genuinely want to catch men, not fish. 
And every time Peter affirms that genuine love for Jesus, Jesus reminds Peter of his mission in life. Feed my sheep, catch people, not fish, make disciples. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, Peter, okay, you say you love me. Obey me. It's really that simple. Do you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Okay, obey me. Obey me. Jesus calls us sheep. I don't know in New Jersey if you're around sheep much. In Africa, we're around sheep a lot. They're stupid. They smell bad. Before you can love and care for sheep, you have to really love the great shepherd. Before we love our fellow sinners, we have to truly love our Savior. And Peter's love was genuine, and Peter was obedient, and Peter was faithful in feeding the sheep of the good shepherd. And as we go on into the story of the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, the majority of the first part of the book of Acts is about who? It's about Peter. It's about Peter faithfully obeying Christ, feeding the sheep, beginning with the household of Israel, the Jews, and then grafting in, being one that grafts in those first Gentiles. That's Peter. Peter was faithful. God had, God had restored him to ministry. Christ had restored him, and Peter was faithful. Then we get to those last two verses that are perhaps more than they seem. Verse 18 and 19. Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, Truly, truly, Peter, pay attention. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. It's hard to know what that means, so Jesus tells us, verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter was going to be obedient. God was going to use him to build his church. And Jesus says to Peter, you know, you're you're going to be faithful. You're going to obey me. And then you're going to come to the end of your life, and let me tell you what your retirement's going to look like. Let me tell you what your your reward is going to be. You're not, not going to get the little boat the little cabin on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and go fishing with your buddies. You're not going to golf. You're not going to cruise. You're going to die a violent death. That's my reward for you, Peter. Does that seem like much of a reward? What kind of a reward is that? Well, go back to Peter's failure. Towards the end of the Lord's ministry on earth, They're on the Mount of Olives. Peter's been with the Lord all this time. He's seen the miracles. He's seen the transfiguration. He's, He's all in. And he says, Lord, even if everybody else leaves you, I'm going to act heroically. I'm willing to die with you. And then what happens? First time Peter's life's in danger, and he's recognized as a follower of Jesus, he goes from, let me use a pastor's term, he goes from hero to zero. Everything he dreamed of being, he's a complete failure. 
We read in Luke 22, when that rooster crows, Peter, the big, tough, abrasive fisherman, cries like a baby. Peter weeps bitterly. Everything I dreamed I was. Everything I dreamed I could be. Everything I thought I could do, I failed. And Jesus promises Peter, Peter, the next time you face death, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to glorify me. You're going to be the hero that you wanted to be. That's my reward. You're going to to be all that you've dreamed of being. You're going to bring glory to God in your dying. I think at that time, Peter maybe remembered the weight of that command, follow me, Matthew. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. God would honor Peter's genuine love for his Savior in the measure of his obedience to the mission that God had given him. By God's grace and power, Peter would die a hero of the faith. Peter's reward was to die well. So what can we learn from the example of Peter? The first thing is, that command to to the disciples to deny themselves, live lives of self-sacrifice, it's not just given to the disciples, it's given to all of us. If you become a follower of Jesus and your life is initially easy, don't kick back and say, well, obviously those trials, those fiery trials are for other followers of Christ. Discipline yourself for what's coming. Discipline yourself so God can put you through some hard times. And you can demonstrate his power in those hard times. You can demonstrate his faithfulness in those hard times. You can demonstrate that you do really genuinely love the Savior during those times. So work on your prayer life. Study the word of God. Obey God's will for all of us. Prepare prepare for what's coming. Jesus may not ask you to quit your profession like he did Peter. He may not require anything people think of as particularly heroic or extraordinary. You know, Pastor mentioned us going to northern Kenya. Um, I, I can't imagine living your lives. In northern Kenya, I can protect myself uh, against the threats. You know, there's, there's things I can do there I can't do here. It's, it's God calls us to different things. Uh, you guys don't have a lake with no game wardens on it. It's not that Jesus is going to ask you to do something that seems to be out of the ordinary. But he asks us, do you really love me? And if you really love me, you'll obey me. And if you follow me as you live your ordinary life in your community, God demands that you live extraordinarily demands that you tell the truth, demands that you love your spouse, demands that you disciple your children. To you young people, he demands that you obey your parents and honor your parents and live lives of purity and holiness and and be a testimony, 
be the Peter to your peers in school that none of us will ever interact with. Demands that we gently and winsomely but without apology at every opportunity, regardless of our reception, speak God's truth. Be salt and light in a crooked and perverse generation. And to realize if your faithfulness brings persecution from your peers, doesn't matter. God has asked you to, to go through that. You know, we, we, we don't worry about dying for our faith in America at this point, but a lot of our brothers and sisters around the world do today. God demands our obedience, regardless of the cost. He wants us to consider it a high privilege and reward to bring glory to God in our living, and if necessary, in our dying. This church, Calvary Church, has a legacy of faithfulness. Pastors mentioned Norman Thelma Everswick. A large reason that Barb and I ended up where we ended up is because we were down in the fellowship hall looking at that movie that Norman Thelma showed, them going to a place that hadn't heard the gospel, that little family in the middle of nowhere. I, one image sticks in my mind of Thelma with this little girl that had been bitten by a snake and the, 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 all the tissue, the necrotic tissue sloughed off and she's dealing with just the bone and, and you know, preventing gangrene and trying to save that little girl's life. No one else in the world cared about. And I remember sitting in the back of that auditorium saying, Lord, please let me do that. Please let me do that. You all know their faithfulness. They retired from Zimbabwe. They came back to America. They taught new missionaries the master's mission for the first years they were back. They would come down and we'd, we'd offer them a house on the grid, you know, electricity. No, no, we want to live up in the candidate cabins, with the candidates. We would, you know, in the, 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 in the fall we start with road building and the guys are down throwing rocks behind a grader on the road and it's raining, drizzling, and they're all, all the candidates are complaining and Norm is there in a yellow raincoat saying, guys, we serve Christ. Everything we do has meaning and purpose. We do this as unto the Lord. You don't know how this is going to help you later. I went to Zimbabwe with a Bible school degree. It took me a long time to realize my pulpit was my bricklaying trowel. It's when I was doing life. They didn't care what I had to say about a different religion. They had their own religion. But as I loved them and I, and I told them it was because Christ loved me, they gave the gospel a hearing as we were doing life together. So seize these advantages. This is the legacy of this church. You've been behind Barb and I for 40 years. You, you've, you've, you've held the ropes in Langalani and when, when we were at the end of ours, I mean, it, it, we would get there and say, Lord, what are we doing here? But our marriage is still good. We don't have a biblical reason to quit. Let's get up tomorrow morning and take three more steps backwards in this community where everybody hates us. And it's 130 degrees. 
and the wind is blowing nonstop, and we're sick. And God built a church in that place. Former Muslims, former enemies. We were back in, uh, in December and we were with a young man who was an orphan that, that we brought into the sphere of our family, paid his way through school. He, he spent all his days with us, his vacations with us. He went to nurses school. Now he's the chief medical officer in, in one of the towns in northern Kenya. He married a girl from another tribe. He's Turkana and she's Rendili. Traditional enemies. Both followers of Christ. Following the Lord, serving the Lord together. They have a little girl named Jade, named after Benji's sister, our Jade. You see God doing this miraculous work. Not through anybody special. Uh, uh, you know, MK, me, beautiful girl from this church, great missionary. This church has a legacy. Do you know that legacy is a legacy that has to be faithful in every generation? You know, God has called all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ to make disciples. That means in our local community, but that also means if the Holy Spirit leads a member of this church, leads a family from this church to extend that ministry of making disciples out beyond this community. And the elders affirm that calling and affirm their faithfulness in ministry here. But you get behind them and you send them out. Where's the next generation of Norm and Thelma's? Now, Master's Mission has struggled since the beginning to find people willing to sign up for a lifetime of ministry. Every mission agency struggles to find those people. Have some of you been called, some of you young couples, and you won't leave the boat, you won't leave the nets, you won't leave the security of the American dream? There's no security there. Our security is in Christ. Let me tell you a secret. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. But by God's grace, we have the opportunity to bring glory to God in our living and in our dying. So what will it be? You know, we look at that reward. God says to Peter, hey, next time, you're not going to fail. That was a real reward. We look at it and say, oh, that, that dying? Yeah, you can die and bring glory to God. Can you dream of anything, anything greater than that? You know, we, we, we sang this morning about the only name that matters to me. The only name that matters to me. Is that a boast like Peter's first boast? Or is that something you really mean? Are you willing to deny yourself? Are you willing to live a life of self-sacrifice? Are you willing to go to a place where there's a lot bigger possibility of dying than here? If God calls you to do that, don't do anything else. You don't want to end your life with the remorse of being a failed disciple who didn't get restored, didn't fulfill the ministry that God called you to. 
2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay, clay pots. Why? So people would recognize that the power of the gospel is not us. It's God. There may be someone here this morning that your pot's empty. You don't know Christ. You're here, come to church and To come through those doors is someone who's not a follower of Christ, not a member of this church, takes a lot of courage. And I know this church is grateful for your courage, grateful that you've come here, grateful that you're coming to hear the word of God and see if there might be truth here. You might be able to find the story of where you came from and where you're going and what the meaning and purpose of life is. But you haven't accepted Christ. You haven't believed in the Savior who died and paid a penalty you couldn't pay, brought you into the family of God, you called the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the only true God, almighty God, Father, Daddy. Maybe you haven't believed that yet. Believe it. Maybe you're a clay pot that's been disobedient. You've been, you know the gospel. You've been unfaithful. You've loved stuff more than the Savior. I think the only question that really matters is, do you truly love Jesus? Not perfectly, but genuinely. And if so, what does that mean? Jesus says, if you really love me, you'll obey me. Are there those here that need to live your same ordinary life, but with an extraordinary perspective? Are there those here that have been called to maybe give up your ordinary life to follow Jesus to a strange place and risk everything for this treasure of the gospel? Let's pray together. Lord, by your grace, by your power, help us to understand that that's the only way that we can faithfully serve you and obey you. Father, help us to truly love you, to truly follow you, so that we can be one who boasts taking off our armor and not one who boasts putting it on. Father, that we can get to the end of our lives and be like Paul in it to have that amazement of saying, I'm at the end, and I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. So that we can say we, we, we brought our Savior glory in our living, and if need be, in our dying. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.